Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 71, and I'm joined by Sean Doyle. You might have seen Sean in such TV shows as The Expanse, House of Cards, Big Love, This Life. Seriously, the guy is in pretty much everything. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Barry Lyndon. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen the film. I'm Sean, and I have never seen the film either. So we're both virgins on this. Um, which is wild. Which is wild, yeah. Have you seen... I mean, what? have you seen other Kubricks, I assume? Yes. Yeah, I've seen probably... What have I seen? Uh, but he didn't make a ton of movies. No, I saw The Shining. I saw Paths, Paths of Glory or Paths to Glory. Paths of Glory, I that believe. That was his first film, but it wasn't uh, his film. That was a, his first studio film, I should say. Yeah. Um, God, I'm blanking on all the Kubrick films we've seen. It's Clockwork and Full Metal Jacket. I think... 2001, of course. Yeah. I think, other than Paths to Glory... This is the only one I might not have seen. Oh, yeah? I think so. I think, because he's only made, I mean, I could pull it up to the internet. I think he only, he only didn't even make a dozen films. He made like, I want to say seven I want to say eight, but I think I'm thinking of uh, Quentin Tarantino. That's what he wants to make. Tarantino wants to make ten. That's what oh. he wants to finish with. But, he, but he's, he's coming up, he's coming up on his eighth. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I feel we're moments away from... He has 16 credits, but that can't be right. One, two. So we got Eyes Wide Shut, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, Barry Lyndon, Clockwork Orange, Space Odyssey, Strange Love, Lolita, Strange. Spartacus, Passive Glory, The Killing, Killer's Kiss. Oh, Fear I and Desire. I have not seen The Killing. I have not seen Killer's Kiss or Fear and Desire. Fear and Desire, I haven't seen either. So there's that I one. I didn't even know that existed. Killer's Kiss, I have. So yeah, I haven't seen, and I haven't seen Spartacus. That's my other you one. You haven't? No, that's another black hole for me. That's so good. Yeah, um, it's on my list, but uh, but this you one need a screen like this to see that movie. It's true. Well, even this one, uh, yeah. the, the one thing I do know about Barry Lyndon is that the cinematography is supposed to be yeah amazing because he, he light. yeah natural light shot with candlelight like yeah. actual candles and they had to develop uh, I don't know if they had to develop it but just the lensing of this was really challenging because well you know I do one of the series I do is called Frontier right and that's yeah. set during the fur trade times here in Canada. The 1800s, and uh, so obviously there's so many scenes that are lit by candles. The scenes are lit, you know, the, in real life they would have been lit by candles, but there's no way that these DPs can achieve that, especially no. on any kind of schedule. No, there's all kinds of lights, fills coming in through windows, and there's no way they'd be able to have the either the technical uh, facility or just the time to light something like that. No, no. but it's a, the, 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 he did this, you know, 30 years ago on film stock. <laughs> That so the, the amount I've, so even film stock the, doesn't have the same kind of light capturing you, abilities, right? The you need way ones. more light, and yeah. so the amount I, I I just heard stories about the amount of the amount of candles they had was just terrifying from a safety point of view. <laughs> <laughs> you got all that wax. You got right, all that. So the, there's five cameras on on screen, but there's probably fifty off, or five candles on screen, and probably fifty off behind them. Yeah. Yeah, and what, and what a crazy thing to just go, we're actually going to use candlelight. Like, what a yeah. weird, like, completely unnecessary choice for, yeah. for technical reasons. But, you know, someone like Cooper gets away with it because he's who he is at this point in his career. Yeah. Because this is one of his later movies, I think. Fascinating. Uh, so what do you know about Barry Lyndon? I know it's a period piece. I know so little about it. Uh, I just listened to a podcast... Alec Baldwin's podcast where one of the main actors in Barry Lyndon also was his personal assistant who was an up-and-coming actor and decided to leave acting and become his right-hand man for the rest of his life. Yeah, there's a documentary about him coming yes, out, right? right? Yeah. I can't think of his name right now. I know very little about it. I Great. know O'Neill's in it. Yeah, I know Ryan O'Neill's the lead and that's about it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, great. Well, then let's just dive in since it's not exactly a short movie. I love science fiction movies. Um, <laughs> let's all go to the lobby to 
finished. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, it wasn't at all what I was expecting. Me neither. Like, just the tone of it almost felt, at, at a lot of times, like a dark comedy. Yeah. I was totally shocked by the humor. Right from the beginning, that first tableau of them doing the duel, right? And the, yeah. the rhythm with the, with, the, with, the, uh, with the voiceover and the shots. And it, was, it felt really tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I and it, it, I kept on thinking the whole way through that you could take this entire movie, cut almost every shot in half, not lose a single thing from the movie, and it'd be like an hour and a half long comedy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You it's know? interesting. Remake it today with Paul Rudd, and you've got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's a pretty simple story, right? It's rags are riches to rags, or. You know, a man can't escape his own destiny. Really, is kind of what it is, and it's yeah. just like it, the black humor surrounding that. I think is what's what kind of propels it forward. Yeah, and especially because you know, the, the, there's there's the you know that huge tragic moment when uh, when his youngest son, or his only son, the the, you know, the stepson's not his son, uh, his son dies. But they foreshadow that. They let you know oh. it's coming. So there's no horror in it. I mean, there's horror in it. It's devastating, but. You're you're set up for it, but what's interesting is the point of view because I didn't feel anything for him when that happened with his son personally, no. and I don't know that we're meant to feel anything. I'm kind of I'm, I think we're meant to feel like well, dude reaped what he sowed, right? <laughs> That's what it feels like a bit. The whole thing feels very observational. Yeah, it's a bit clinical in a way. Well, it's, all those shots too. The fucking like this. I'm so glad I saw it here as opposed to on a TV because. Man, the shots are unbelievable, and it's and it's like so many of those uh, countryside shots start on very specific behavior, or you know, sort of medium wide shots of a of the characters, and then they Jeez. zoom out. God love the zoom. Hey. Oh, he loves his zoom oh, lens in this God. movie. But then, it, but then it zooms out so far as the, if the scope to tell you that you need to. To, to watch it from a distance. Like, that's what I felt throughout the entire film. If you ever felt maybe, if I ever felt like I was getting too involved, you do one of those big fucking zooms until you're a million miles away and you see those characters in the context of the world and you go, oh yeah, we're just observing that. We're not meant to, you know, be right in there with them. Yeah, that's what I felt. because it's almost, it's, it's never pushing in. It's always pulling out. Yeah, that's right. It's there always saying, one moment be I, detached. There was one moment I saw it push in. I can't, I can't think. I, I was oh, I love to know. I, I, I didn't notice that. And it was also weird, before I forget, when he's on his bed with the amputated leg and the messenger comes in to tell him that he's going to be uh, Sent vanquished. Away. Yeah. Um, that was the one shot in the entire film that was from his point of view when the guy came over and sat down in the chair. Did you notice that? That's interesting. I think it was. Yeah. It was the one shot that seemed to be from uh, Ryan O'Neill's point of view. Like so specifically. Yeah. So subjective. Yeah, I mean, and also the fluidity that he went from such formal framing and movement to this handheld stuff. Within, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, and, and they use it sparingly. It's really just, it's the scene when he beats the son-in-law, or the son of the stepson, uh, when his wife has tried to poison herself. The boxing? Uh, the boxing, and then I guess the... Some of the war stuff. Some of the war stuff, yeah. But it's, it's, it's only used a handful of times, but it's very... Uh, yeah, that scene when he beats the son-in-law yeah. is phenomenal. Just from the beginning to the end, from just that amazing pan across that room with the music playing to the kid coming in, just clomping those shoes, yeah. and just how long that just takes and the whole room's just sitting in it. And you can feel everybody in that room having a realized performance, right? It's not like a bunch of background people there that had no investment in it. You could tell that they all kind of had histories or connections to the story and they understood the the importance of what was happening in that moment. And it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was a phenomenal sequence. Just the, the brutality of him beating him. And how many people it took. Like, I don't know how many times they shot that fucking scene, but holy cow. That was, that, that, that was not choreographed. It could not have been choreographed. No, and I feel like that's why you go handheld with a scene like, with a shot like that because it's probably it's just following it. Yeah, because you know? I think he, he, you know, he didn't cover a lot of shots with it, so I think it was just every take's going to be whatever it's going to be. Kind of felt like it's just one side or the other, right? Looking yeah, that way, or looking that. Let way. Ryan O'Neill do his thing, and it's, it's people are going to end up where they end up, and then the, the 
Lady uh, Lady Lynn uh, is you know on the other side of the screen, so she's gonna be clean for continuity. So yeah, it felt like right. I mean Kubrick's known for doing a million takes of everything. You made the joke when he lifts up that really heavy captain yeah. at the beginning. He's like, how many takes did Kubrick make him do that? And then he had to do two scenes lifting up people. Yeah, the other was in the uh, in the fire. Yeah, the. Uh, in that battle. The prison officer when he, when he had to switch sides of the war. <laughs> or not switch sides, I guess. It was just one of the, the other army that they were allies to. He was fighting for the Prussians at that point, right? Yeah, but before he was fighting for the British. For the British, yes. And then he came across the horses and the two men professing their love for each other, and he took advantage of the situation <laughs> to get out of there. Yeah, that was weird to see, too. Like, that was such a, again, the kind of a, a black humor that just kind of popped up like he he could have used many transitions or devices to make that happen and he chose to have that right yeah These two soldiers as lovers and i want water naked yeah and i'm curious how much of that came out of the book um and it was a book you're telling me now well, that's what they said in the end of the credits i didn't know that either i didn't i didn't even see that yeah it was it was uh, there was a novel that it was based on kubrick did the adaptation ah. so uh, i'd be curious to know how much I'd be curious to know every a lot about the, the adaptation of uh, if, if the tone of that narration comes from the book or if that was something that he modified. Because mm. uh, a, a lot of it comes down to to uh, you know the the choice of actor you have do that narration because it's such a very specific. Oh yeah, tongue. Like you said, kind of tongue and cheek. Walking a line for sure. You could feel it. It felt very very Ian McKellenish. To me. Yeah, you know that just there's that hint of. Smarminess. In Sousons or something right under yeah, the surface. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I would be curious to know, in today's money, how much that movie cost. And what that would cost today. I mean, yeah. you know, of course you do so much of it with the optically now. This time, yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of... Well, I was thinking about some of those scenes. Like, There's that one scene where you've got uh, the British heading towards... I'm not sure what army it is. Uh, and they're just mowing them down. It's, yeah. the, it's the scene where the captain dies. Mm-hmm. And I kept on thinking that, based on how they were shooting it, that they probably just used the same soldiers from both sides and swapped out the war joke. Because yeah. every time they cut to the other side, it was from the other side's point of view, and you only saw maybe a half a dozen soldiers. Yeah. And you never saw them. And I kept it was on, always in profile. Actually. Either profile or from behind. And I kept on waiting to see him. Like, am I going to see both armies at the same time? I bet you I'm not. Right. And I thought that's how they did it. They just had the wardrobe for both sides, and they swapped out. Because yeah. it's a ton of extras. Totally. Because there's a lot of the movie is just really finding gorgeous countryside and these old castles and buildings that already existed and just filling the frame beautifully and probably framing out, you know, the... The building, the or building, the, the yeah. electric wires, or what have you. Well, that's just it. There's a great uh, quote from Kurosawa. Someone asking about how, how does you, you pick your beautiful, majestic frame? And he's like, well, if I pan left, there's a hydro tower there. And if I pan right, there's a new building. Yeah. So I'm sure there was a lot of it was like that in here, where if you went even an inch to the left, you see a, a, a modern bridge or highway or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just in this perfect framing, you've got this am- amazing countryside that goes on and on for miles. Oh, God. And so many of those first shots of the countryside, they were all done on a hill looking down. So you look down in the valley or down the angle up until the, the hill going the other side. It just went on forever. Yeah. Um, and, there, and he always places people in the frame in the distance that don't seem to be doing a thing. But they're Did there. you notice that? Oh, yeah, but there's so many of them. Even there's that one scene where you're seeing down the lake, and there's these period, not boat canoes, but boats and people yeah. in parasols down there. Like, just the amount of control they had over that whole area. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much time you've spent uh, in, in, in the English countryside, but what's amazing is a lot of that still exists and still looks like that. You know, um, but you'd have it, to lock off such a huge Oh, for sure. Of but in rural England, like, we were there... I don't know, less than a decade ago for a friend's wedding, and we were mostly in, in the rural countryside, there's a lot of that that's still very much like that. Wow. Um, and, and you're driving, even though you're in a modern car, you're driving down these you know dirt roads that mm-hmm. wind around hills that are a one-lane road. So I can see how you know 50 years prior, 
it, it probably wouldn't have been that challenging to find these great locations. Mm-hmm. So, so the bulk of this is coming down to interior production design and wardrobe and, and your number of extras. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd be curious to look up the budget, but I, I don't think it was anything that crazy given, uh, I'm sure given a lot his own of the, proclivities in terms of time that he took. Yeah. There's that. Yeah, there's the Kubrick yeah. method of just shooting the same thing over and over again. And it's again. funny because we'll talk about the guy, obviously, Brian Vitale, who we talked about earlier. The yeah. guy who was in this movie in a major part and then after working on this movie decided not to act and just work with Kubrick. But uh, he said in that interview that I heard that Kubrick showed up not having any plans about how he was going to shoot it in terms of storyboarding or any specific shots. He showed up and came up with it on the day, which is extraordinary if you think about how fastidious he is with the shots once he decides on them, right? Yeah, but he probably had the luxury of the time to figure it out. But also, the sh- the scenes aren't overly covered. No, you know, there's, no, no, There's no, no. maybe yeah. a handful of shots per scene. Um, that's true. So it's not like... the, the vi- what, what he's doing that's really amazing in these, in these scenes is just how much he's showing. Uh, yeah. But he's not doing a ton of, and it's just really that it's showing off the locations. Uh, there's that amazing shot when when he's with his son, and then it pulls back and there's in a the fishing gi- boat. No, inside the house, amazing. and there's a giant painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking through a book, I think. That's and, right. And like, what? What? They're just reading a book. That's yeah. the whole scene. And there's this, <laughs> like, the amount of production value that's in that shot is insane. It's almost like. You know, I was saying earlier, it's as if he pulls back to give us some objectivity, but it's also by pulling back and kind of presenting a painting, because that's what so many of those shots are, it reminds us that those paintings were about human beings and real-life situations at one point. Yeah. Like even the final shot where they're in, where they're in, you know, she's signing over the papers and whatnot with her son, and you've got this beautiful oil painting on the back, which is has the kind of light reflecting on the characters in the painting almost the like them, them reflected I mean they're like Vermeer I, I mean I'm not an art expert or anything but Vermeer and uh, the expressionist. Uh, Rembrandt yeah. yeah the expressionist I mean just stunning well and maybe that that leads to the, the, the conversation we were having earlier just about his decision to shoot with candlelight yeah so in those scenes interior and there wasn't a ton of them no uh, those they nice- were so rich but you can see how how much the camera was fighting because a lot of those yeah, scenes are very soft. I was going to ask you, because you would know more than I do about this, uh, I wondered if there was a filter being put over the cameras, but no, it's just the ability of the film to grab the light. And that's yeah, and, and so that's what happens a lot of times. So you'll notice, it, it, and I just noticed in the last film that I just shot, because we were, you know, my DP really just wanted to have the lens wide open as much as possible. And you can get it down to like a point six mm. now, mm-hmm. which is... You know they were probably shooting at a at a five point six, you yeah. know, three point four if they're lucky, um, and so you know we're shooting with a wide open, trying to use as little lights as possible. And what happens is the the wider open your lens is, the narrower your depth of field, which means focus is very crucial, challenging yeah. and very crucial. And it's not the same uh, as when you have more light; it just gives you more latitude, and more control. So you you can see, especially watching it projected big like this you can see it a bit softer in those scenes yeah uh, and it, and I feel like you know Cooper probably just took some you know poetic license and went well let's just make that part of the look uh, because you can't fight up against it oh I just thought it was beautiful though yeah it works oh my god and in so many of those shots particularly when they stayed wide there would be there would be all these pockets of life happening you know There'd be a guy passed out in a chair over there, and then there'd be people in the back playing cards, and then you have the main characters in the foreground, and it's just there's so much to see. Now, I was curious about the ratio. Do you? Th- this would not have been the original. I'm ratio. not sure. I have to this look. This was at like a four by three, or uh, not? No, it wasn't three, four by three. This was, this was like a, wasn't quite sixteen nine, but it was some. It was closer to that than it would be like anamorphic. Yeah, which might have been it. Uh, given the lenses, he. If he was shooting natural light for most of the movie, he wouldn't have been shooting anamorphic, just because they require a lot more light. Oh, okay. Um, so he could have just been using kind of regular widescreen lenses at the time. 
Um, but would that have been in uh, 35 mil or 70 mil or? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I, I didn't do too much research into this because I wanted to come in yeah, really, sure. really Me too. raw. But uh, this is definitely a movie I'll, I'll, I'll revisit, but I'll also just kind of dive into because I'm curious about so much yeah. of the background and, and choices that were made and, and whatnot. Uh, let's talk about Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill. I'm not super familiar with... I can't say I've seen a ton of Ryan O'Neill movies. No, uh, nor have I. I mean, uh, what was that? What was that? Romantic? Love Story, Love right? Love Story and Paper Moon. Yep. Uh, I've seen those. But he reminded me... I kept on thinking Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd and, like, um, Ryan Reynolds. If you were to remake this today... Because they've, they've got that bit of a smarm to them, but they can also pull off those really... Those dramatic moments. Yeah. I think Ryan Reynolds is, is is a very talented person, to be honest. Paul Rudd is a good actor, too, and he's yeah. very funny, obviously. But uh, I feel like Ryan O'Neill, I would be really curious to know uh, that in terms of if they shot linearly or if they had to shoot out a sequence and how much of the later stuff they shot later. Because it did feel like he grew into it as it went along. Hmm. It was almost like he was a vehicle. He was like a container. He was a, he was a, he was a function, you know, he was a tool for Kubrick to start telling the story at the beginning. That's what it felt like. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting arc because he does, you do start off rooting for him and, and like loving that character. And you know, that scene when he gets robbed by the highwaymen, yeah. which is hilarious. Uh, and so, and, and, and it expre- is really tongue in cheek and just how, proper and and you know kind the highwayman is that's robbing him he's like i wish i could help you sir i wish i could leave you some money but i just can't mm. uh, i will leave you my your boots which i normally would not do <laughs> but i will take your horse <laughs> i will take your horse uh and then as it goes along you know you just see him start to act in in a little bit more self-interest uh, as it goes along you know the way he he, he takes advantage of the of the two homosexual soldiers and takes their pa- one of their passes to get away takes advantage of a widow is she a widow or is her husband just away she's away i mean it's implied that maybe he's died and will never come back anyway there's also an implication or well, not implication but then that she has had many suit yeah many this is not through. first person yeah. to stop by <laughs> um it's interesting though that he so he starts off such a pretty Boy, too, right? And so seemingly innocent. And, oh, no, not seemingly. No, like he truly was. Naive. Yeah. Um, and I love that reveal that it, he was set up to just run away by thinking he killed the guy. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so I'd be curious to know if why Kubrick chose him. Was it because of that quality, the naivety, or... Uh, or did he see something more venal or more, um, you know, Machiavellian or something in him as a person that would work later on in the film? Yeah, it's, uh, but it's probably, you, you'd think it'd be for all of it. There's definitely this boyish quality he has in yeah. his roguishness. Even when that, that turn comes in the, in the boxing scene, it's, it's a nice unexpected moment. Yeah. You know, because the other guy is twice his size. Yeah. Uh, and then that's the moment where you really realize. It's really that, nicely done too. Yeah, he's formidable. This is the guy that can can handle himself. There was also a surprise when he goes into this duel with his uh, stepson, and oh, he chooses not to shoot. That him. scene is amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, just the just the way it goes back and forth, the way the son the, the gun explodes in his hand, and, and he realizes, no, that's your shot. Yeah, he gets to go now, and then he throws up. <laughs> And he won't let it go. And then, yeah, and then he, you know, O'Neill... And in that moment, he kind of exposes himself to having kind of similar uh, qualities as Ryan O'Neill's character, right? Because he... Ryan O'Neill's just done him a solid. He's done him a favor. He's given him a way out of this. Yeah. But he chooses not to do that because he knows he gets to shoot next. So yeah, that's he's it. Gonna, he's going to take advantage of that. And Well, he came. He went away. Like, he just realizes this is one opportunity... To do this, and he's not going to let it go. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, I love that. He was that. amazing, that guy. Yeah, like he would have had an incredible career as an actor. Yeah, he's so compelling. Yeah, he remind. He, I kept on seeing Malcolm McDowell in him. Yeah, 
You know, just he's got that face and, yeah. and, and just hear about him. Just a lot of torment, you know, just like stuff washing over his face constantly right from the beginning. Yeah, so I wonder what, I mean, what what compelled him? Well, I'm curious to watch, it'll be in that documentary. Yeah. Um, that's coming out, the, the documentary about him and Spielberg, and Spielberg Kubrick's relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm very curious to know more about, about their relationship uh, and then just this film in general. It's kind of, this is totally off topic and I'm not an expert at all to talk about it necessarily, but um, if you look at Eyes Wide Shut, this film kind of, because I hadn't, I saw that before and not this film obviously, but this film in terms of some of the style reminded me of the kind of restraint in Eyes Wide Shut or like that that sense of scale or something. You Absolutely. The same thing? Well, especially, I mean, it, it, it's pr- this one, this example is, is pretty specific, but especially in that shot uh, when after he's married Lady Lynn and now he's uh, being, he's cheating on her, there's that shot inside where there's these, you know, two half-naked women that he's kissing yeah, well, yeah. and it pulls back and that's when that, that's when it went, really went, oh, this feels like eyes wide shut. Yeah. But then, then because of that moment, I kept on seeing more, see more yeah, of that through. Especially the way, yeah, eyes wide shut is, is really big on pulling back and showing stuff. And he is using uh, digital in that. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And, and it's, I'm not I, a fan of eyes wide shut. I, I feel like there, it lacks stakes because the, the kind of the key conundrum of the film, uh, the, mor- the moral crisis is dated. Yeah, I saw. I haven't seen it since it first came out, and I was a teenager at the time. Yeah, so I I, I can't speak to I'd it. I'd like to see it again too, but I, I wasn't yeah. a fan when I first saw it. But it makes me hope. It makes me glad that he made this when he made it in time, because he is using uh, a ton, you know a ton of background in, in in those shots. But I just worry that uh, he would have used the technology potentially to fill those backgrounds. Mm-hmm more mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know not quite George Lucas it up but just really take advantage of, of, of digital technology to fill those frames a bit more and there's something there's something that's really really amazing about knowing that everything's real you yeah know, these aren't I mean unless but it's also the specificity like I said you know, but they're not mats it's not like matte yeah. paintings would have been back you know 30 years earlier yeah the only digital effect that I saw which would be rotoscoping I guess is what it would have been at the time was his leg at the end right yeah, it's just that one shot. Because when they're in the bed, mm-hmm. you can see at one point that his they're just hiding the fact that his, yeah. his legs. Going but then they the made him move to try to dispel dispel the. That was a really smart yeah. choice. Because because for that fooled me for for about a half a second. I was like, how are they doing that now? Yeah, really well done. And then yeah, I, feel I guess like we're talking in a way that's good because anybody who's listening to this is not getting the answers. They don't really know what we're talking about. No, no, so no. That's good. But if you've seen the movie, you know. But yeah, definitely that last shot, and that's that last shot of Barry Lyndon in the movie is that's when right. he, when he walks into the from his back. On yeah, his and back. The, yeah, that's the last time we see him. He's walking away from us. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah and then and uh, and they don't show him get into the because that's what I was I was waiting to see with that shot with his leg gone. I'm like, how are they doing that? And they they free frame right before. Yeah, which which gives away part of the trick. I was hoping they'd go back to his town and he'd get to see Mary again, the girl from the beginning. I was hoping to get one oh. one more beat of just like what happened to her. Right. With and and get to see. Uh, Lord Oliver, or whatever his name was, the guy that uh, he had the, the falling out she with. She died in childbirth along the way. Probably she's not around <laughs> anymore. Uh, but I love that opening scene where, and it just shows how his progression too. When he's too, you know, terrified of of even just like going into her bosom yeah. to grab that the um, cloth. Yeah. Uh, ri- the trembling? ribbon, the ribbon. Yeah, he just can't From handle the joy it. of finding the ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say something else. So, from your perspective, and as a director, and also knowing about him, what do you think? What do you think the performances were like, in terms of varying degrees, overtakes, and that sort of thing? I'm not sure because he was known for doing a lot of. Mm-hmm. You know, I've only seen that. You know, there is not a ton of information on 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 him because he was fairly secretive, which is why it's interesting to see this documentary come out. Mm-hmm. I think that like the stuff I, I've read a couple little snippets from books. There's a there's a, a great making of The Shining, 
Uh, and in that, he's dictatorial. Like, there's there's this really, especially if you watch it now in, in the guise of 2018, there's this uh, scene with him and Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall, yeah. And he's where just he's being terrible her. to her. Yeah. Just really, really. I remember seeing this when I was, you know, eighteen or something, thinking, "Ugh, is that what?" It, but also, you know, at that point in time, I'm, I'm, you know, I have aspirations of becoming a director. I'm like, "Is that what you? Is that what directors what do? Is that do? how they behave?" Mm. And and thankfully realizing, no, that's just very much how he behaves. That's what I hear about you, though. Oh, that is For how I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but being kind of horrified and scared, they're like, "Well, I don't mm. think I have that." Ability to do that, so maybe I can't be a director. But then realizing that that's not the case, and that was just very much him. So I don't know. I wonder in this because this feels like I mean, you almost think too for like something like The Shining that was a lot more intense for for its own purposes. Uh, maybe some of that the is The Shining had to be there had to be an intensity cultivated though, right? Yeah, which is why a lot of that stuff happened. So you think maybe that's in, in, intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, whether whether you can argue it's it's justified or not, but on something like this, this feels pretty relaxed and laid back. Well, what it feels to me is it's so restrained, right? The performances in general are very restrained. They're very subtle and nuanced, and the camera captures the moments as opposed to the actors moving towards the audience or the story. The the the, yeah. the story the the filmmakers moving towards. The, Whatever their thoughts or well, and, the image and yeah and so and story wise it's very bare. Oh yeah, totally. like story wise, what, what's his said? stakes? Yeah. I mean, not stakes, but what's his? What does he want at the beginning? Yeah. Like he doesn't even like by the end or by the midpoint. He wants riches and fortune and yeah, adventure and, but that's not even clear from the outset. From the outset, no. he just wants love, and then by the midpoint, he realizes, no, I don't want love. I want to be well taken care of. So mm. I'm going to forgo love and go up to this lady over here. Uh, and then almost by the end of realizing, well, that didn't help him either. Yeah. And he, he might have been better off just to go after love in the yeah. beginning. That's why I feel like part of the theme is that the destiny will find you in spite of yourself, you know? Yeah, you can't <laughs> trick. Uh, but at the same time, it's like all these scenes, what I really loved about it is if you went, you know, if you kind of like wrote down was having the scene. And every scene does really beautifully lead to the next one. Mm-hmm. And in and, and scenes that... And it's almost like a, a this this game intention where you're sitting there going, I'm waiting for that moment where I know where this is going. Because even when they first introduce the concept that the, this young son is going to die, and then it's then all of a sudden, oh, I want a horse. You're like, oh. So the horse... Well, first of all... The candles. There's the candles. I'm like, yeah. he's going he's gonna to die in a fire. <laughs> die in a fire. And I kept on going, how is this kid going to die now? Yeah. And just letting it just mess with me over and over again. But as opposed to, uh, like, Big Fish, the Tim Burton film or something, or any movie where the, the, the story is threaded together with these preposterous bridges, right? This all felt so simple. And organic. But yeah. if you look back at the story and what happened to him, it's an epic tale. I mean, it's a simple story, but it's in terms of him going from one army to another and crossing borders and being vanquished from this place and ending up there. I mean, that's all... If that wasn't handled properly, that could just seem no. And then he, du- he double crosses the one army and yeah. gets himself smuggled out of the country. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's phenomenal in that. And you know, it, it is like the only way to describe it in terms of scope is that it's an epic. Yeah, it's 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 a really small Tory Tory, a really small story, but but told in epic format, which is why you get those big giant frames. Yeah, um, it's almost meditative too, in a way, right? It allows you to just kind of sit in it. And allow it to move through you all kinds of different ways. Yeah, but, but the, in terms of the performances, um, uh, I feel like I want to. I'm trying to find something that I have. A, I have. I have a feeling, an inkling of an idea to talk about, but I can't quite get it. It reminded me of that story I heard about George C. Scott in uh, *Strange Love*, where his performance is so outrageous, but according to him, he was furious when he saw the film because he had done say, ten takes in a very grounded, nuanced way. And then did Kubrick one. Would, Kubrick would demand him to do one that was just over the top, and that was That's the performance he chose, yeah. And so in this movie, it was so restrained, except for that one character, the the ailing husband of his wife. Yeah. I'm terrible with names. And that... That that scene was fantastic. It was it was it was almost from another film in a way. You know. Yeah. It was so large. 
Yeah, when he's going on furious with how this man's trying yeah. to usurp him and how dare he, he'll live forever and then he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> what well, almost feels like the Wallace Shawn scene yeah, in yeah, Princess yeah, yeah. Bride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the poison it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder how. I mean, that's. I mean, that's something I do. I I do, uh, especially early on in production. I'll do various tone takes uh, as you're trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. And sometimes what these characters are, and and how broad they they should and shouldn't be. But then usually, within a day or two, you start narrowing narrowing in. You understand on, the world you're in, and yeah, and well, also the actors you're working with, and everything. Yeah. So that way, you're just not painting yourself into into corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any in any way where you feel like oh shoot I wish we had have gotten a take like this on that day you kind of start feeling like you can you can figure that out but I mean that seemed like such a deliberate choice of of him as an editor to choose a, a performance like that right in that moment and I don't I don't know why you know what I mean like that yeah. scene could have been performed many 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 ways and it, and it could have had more gravity. But that's one of the things that, that tells me that like the tone yeah. in his head was a dark comedy. Yeah. This yeah, yeah. three-hour dark comedy that has moments of drama. Mm-hmm. But really, it's like you could, you could go through and, and, and put a, a comedy nerd lens on it and, and talk about the beats and the, you know, the irony and the different types of comedy. Mm-hmm. Especially that scene when, the, when the, the stepson decides to shoot him anyway. Like, that's mm-hmm. pure comedy throughout. <laughs> But it's done with this wonderful tension, too. Yeah. And like you said, if you would take out 20 frames prior to him saying, we're going to go again, I'm not satisfied, it yeah, would have no. an entirely different feel. I'm right? not satisfied. <laughs> it's slightly, I'm not slightly, satisfied. slightly different, different tones, too. Yeah, I mean, I, that's almost, I sat there going, I almost as an exercise want to ingest this movie into my, my Avid uh-huh. and recut it. Just do that. New score, yeah, uh, and not necessarily a new score, but just you'd have to trunicate it because that's the one thing that lets these things breathe. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like cut the film in half and just really embrace that comic. Group. You wouldn't have to lose a beat of story, yeah, because it's mostly shots are just they, they start really late and they end they go on. But it's like, I don't hate the pace of this. That said, uh, but I did sit there going, wow, it's really, really just letting you mm-hmm. soak in. And and for some moments it's really really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my my editor brain, just thinking that as an interesting exercise. Well, it always felt alive though, right? Yeah, it, it never felt redundant or repetitive. It always felt like there was just so many dynamics floating around. Well, and that's the power of it. Like I find I you know I'm rewatching uh, James Bond movies right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll tell you this: their like, action shots are a lot, a lot more extended than what we're used to these days. Well, yeah, but, but even then, but no, but I'm, I'm, I'm now catching up. I'm right in the Brosnan area oh, uh, that I'm watching. Different. But that said, I'll, I'll say this, um, and even of the true earlier, but it's also true of, of action movies that are made today. I find that when I'm watching some of these big, drawn out action scenes, they almost put me to sleep because it's just constant. There's sensory overload. Sensory yeah. overload. I can't. I can't follow what's going on, and also it's just repetitive, and nothing's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, the story is not happening. No, it's just, just I'm just seeing a lot of effects. stuff. Yeah, I'm just seeing shooting, shooting, shooting. These things are not. Where something like this is, you know, an hour longer than those movies, and you know, ten times as slow. Yeah, and I'm in. I'm yeah. drawn I'm, right into it because totally I can follow it. Yeah. And, I'm, and it allows me that time to go, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what's going on over here. Mm-hmm. It allows you that space to start thinking, start wondering and, and, and bringing your own sense into it. Where I find a lot of modern movies, it's just about boom, 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 boom. And I find like I'm, I'm editing a, my own film right now. And in a lot of these conversations, because I'm, I'm more accustomed to older films, I think, than a lot of people. And so you're having to fight like uh, not fighting, but pressure. But people just sit there, and and it's like, oh, you could take 15 minutes out right. of the air out of this movie. And it's like, yeah, but do you want to take the air out of some scenes? Like some mm. scenes deserve air and need air because you want. But then, as a, as the editor, you must be thinking, is that because this is my creation and I'm being precious, or yeah. is it a tonal thing? Is it no? It's uh, interesting sen- sensibility. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get to a point where I kind of what I how I kind of react is I, I, I watch it a lot with other people. Okay, and, and then I can, can tell. and I can feel if it's dragging on in certain moments yeah. or not. And that's yeah. usually the litmus test for me is as 
getting feedback from them is great too. But even just being in that room and watching it and feeling it with other people, I mm. start to get a better sense of if I'm lingering on things too long now. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable to watch a film like this, though. Yeah, to just kind of uh, reset your your ability as an as an audience member. I think. Because we're losing this, we're not. We we don't get this in anything that we go from day to day. We have to intentionally seek this out, to be able to be challenged by a movie, right? Like to come up against a movie, because that's what you do. Like you're, you're you're there's like a there's a contract that you enter into when you sit down and watch a film like that, which is that you you're required to fill in blanks. You're required to have an to have a internal imagination about what's happening, and and to kind of believe in it enough that you can sit in it and yeah. invest in the characters and invest in the story yeah the closest film that I can think of to this would be last year's Phantom Thread which I haven't seen which is you might I think you'd dig it yeah. uh, because it, it, again I would consider it a dark comedy yeah in, in a lot of way, in, in, in a lot of the behavioral and certain aspects of it uh, but the pacing of it is very I mean I mean it's no secret that Paul Thomas Anderson is a big Kubrick fan. Yeah. Uh, but you could definitely see uh, the Barry Lyndon influence in that film. In is that right, eh? I think so. Hmm. I think it'd be uh, a worthwhile comparison of the two films. Uh, yeah, because I thought I went into that film again expecting something very different than what I what I got, and, and I walked out with something that I appreciated so much more than what I thought I was going to get out of it. Right. Same as this, like I really love the the tongue in cheek. I love the the style of narration, the tone, uh, and the juxtaposition of that with these giant sprawling, beautiful images. Yeah. Because there was such a different way that you could have shot and lens this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, this just kind of speaks to how Kubrick was, you know, a one off uh, in, in in the kind of filmmaker well, just he the was. Confidence that he had, right? Yeah, nobody else would make the film like this. No way. Ballsy. Yeah, it's great. But uh, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson making There Will Be Blood. It's maybe not as uh, lugubrious, but still very long shots and wide framing and a very kind of unconventional soundtracks and no dialogue for such a long time. So there's still some people out there trying to, like well, you said, he emulates Kubrick. Yeah. But he's definitely far between now. Yeah, he. I would say he's he's one of the few that are holding mm-hmm. that candle. Yeah, bless him for doing Have it. Have you too. seen uh, um, the Post Spielberg film? Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think it's an, a success entirely, but I appreciate the the confidence and the discipline that he has as a mature filmmaker to just trust. The story, trust the relationships, the actors, yeah, and yeah, the way that film is shot is is yeah. so interesting and so he, simple. Yeah, and he would go back, um, like they had a sixty day shooting schedule, I think, on that movie, mm. and they he would go back and reshoot entire scenes because he he'd wake up in the middle of the night and have a new idea. It's like, oh, I should have shot it like this. Oh, really? And f- again, few filmmakers have the luxury to be able to go and do that. But if Spielberg shows up in the morning, going, I want to reshoot that. But scene. what would he want to reshoot? Like so for he, a technical he, reason, like framing it differently. Or framing it differently. Like He'd go, oh, you know uh, what? I should have put the camera over here, and I could have got everyone in. Right. Uh, I should. St- I think it was more staging. He'd he'd. Uh, because that movie, it's like Kurosawa. I mean, it relies on staging. Yeah. Because oh. probably maybe two setups, three setups, and some of those large scenes with all those characters and all that dialogue. Yeah, and then sometimes a day or two later, he would realize that he could have done it better, yeah. and then he'll go back and redo it. Which, again, you know... You and, have yeah. that, too, right? You have the same luxury. Yeah, I have the exact same power. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time I actually redid one little piece of the last one. Uh, and was it worth it? Well... We had the time to do it because we were in the same location and it worked yeah. out. Um, and it was more just our an eyeline was off, but we were in the same. We were able to go. Oh, we can reshoot that okay. shot today. Yeah. But it made me think of that. I'm like, oh, look at the power I have in this one. Uh, <laughs> but it was literally only because we were in the same location. I never would have got a penny to go back and reshoot it. It would have been one of those things where I sat back, going, ugh, it's a little off, but I'll, I'll I'll let it go. But it's yeah, it's amazing that power. And Kurosawa is definitely a, g- a good comparison for that. Cause if you look at especially from like High and Low. Mm-hmm. which is just the the staging in that movie is spectacular. And I think 
Yeah, he was like a theater director. Yeah. Oh, well, and they, they practiced for a week. Like, he, mm-hmm. they practiced that film. They rehearsed that film for weeks while he kind of figured out the staging of it. But, you know, Spielberg is definitely one of those those filmmakers that is a master of staging. Mm-hmm. And you look at... There's there's great videos online that can show it. If you type in, like, the Spielberg Warner on YouTube, there's a great uh, yeah, video that. that just shows yeah. it off, right? And yeah. that's something I definitely tried to emulate in the movie I just shot. And we really tried to push in those Man, kind of you're talking a lot about this movie. You're raising <laughs> expectations. I, I apologize to you, you're not going to be able to see it for probably at least six months to a year, at, at a festival at the very least. But, so how are you uh, feeling as a director now? This is what, your fourth movie? Fourth fifth, feature? Fifth. fifth. Uh, are you growing? Do you feel you're growing? Absolutely, yeah, I think so. Like, I, I'm, I'm starting to take stuff like that and go, I want to try this now. I, like, I think I've, I've, I've figured out this part of what I do, now I'd love to get better at staging or get better at you know, lensing and that kind of mm. stuff, and I find that I'm really, really growing in those areas. Uh, but then also just trying to explore, you know, subgenres and genres that I love. You know, this one's a, a time travel comedy. So, you know, getting, it's almost like getting closer to the films that I loved as a child. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, in, in, in some regards, and just kind of, just playing in, in, in a couple of different sandboxes. I think it's a matter, I mean, I'm sure it's the same as an actor. It's like, you want to try to do some things that you haven't done before. You know, mm-hmm. but the further you go along, I think more people just expect something that you, this thing you already did. Because we know you did that and you were good at it, so why not do it again? Yeah. And it's like, well, because that's not as interesting. There's also, um, in my experience anyway, there's a lot of different characters to play, but there's not a lot of different avenues to explore, per se. Like, you know, so many different, so many, so many characters fall within specific genre uh boundaries mm. and so you you can easily find yourself playing the same things even though superficially it has a different job it has a different intention it has a different but ultimately you're mining the same well inside yourself to get those things so the trick is to find the things that are not mining the ground that you've already mined and that's really challenging yeah, and so what? I don't know if that made any sense? But and so what for you? What would be interesting for you to do that you haven't been able to do before? Um, comedy. I mean, I've done a bit of comedy, and I I really have enjoyed it the times that I've done it. But it terrifies the hell out of me, for sure. You know, I just finished a really really intense uh, miniseries uh, about the Tainted Blood tragedy, which honestly, it required going back to that mining the same ground so dramatically and so heavily for such a long time that I'm happy to just not just, go there for a long just time. Just spent. Yeah, completely spent. Well, you should do more comedy. I should. Damn it. <laughs> we'll make that happen. Uh, great. Is there any final thoughts? I like duck suits. You like duck suits? All right. A duck you know, suit. When you get back to the really early childhood uh, aspirations with your filmmaking, put yeah. me in a duck suit. Put me in a chicken suit. Chicken suit. All right. What final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I think for me, if anything, I liked it more than I expected to. I think I expected it. I don't know what I expected. I guess I think I went into this going. It's a three-hour costume drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be slow and tedious, and I'll have to really fight to to stay with it. And I didn't have to at all. I was really engaged. The whole time. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And also, I, I was surprised by the levity, you know? Yeah. Surprised by the the sardonic nature of his storytelling, in a way. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I can't say I've seen a period film with this tone before. And every time I see a Kubrick film that I haven't seen before, I'm just stunned that one... It's like Shakespeare, right? Everybody says, how could one person have made all these plays is the same thing how could one person have such a spectrum of uh, attack in terms of the kind like every technically it's different all the time subject matter story tone pacing editing and they're all pretty great for the most part you know he he didn't have you know the kind of misses some filmmakers have i mean you except eyes watch sure (laughs) uh but you know you brought up uh Tarantino at the beginning because I think Tarantino is someone who is not like like Kubrick but I think he wants to emulate Kubrick in the, in the fact that Kubrick only made you know uh, a dozen or less films but 
pretty much everyone inside of that is is a masterpiece, or at least mm. to somebody it is. And I think that's what Tarantino wants to do. He wants to try to create an untainted legacy where he only makes amazing films. What did you think of Hateful Eight? I didn't hate Eight Hateful Eight. Uh, I I I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but I never. I mean. I think already if you count Death Proof as one of his features, he's already mm. made a shitty film. But mm-hmm. then again, people rave and rave about Death Proof, and I haven't gone back to revisit it since I saw it the first time and didn't no. really dig it. I, I really admire... I pedantic. I only watched half of it. I couldn't watch it anymore. Uh, Might have been the frame of mind I was in. Oh, the second half, it picks up. It gets... <laughs> no, no, but there's something that they start pulling back all the layers and everything. So the second okay. half is, is pretty good. Uh, that said, you know, there are other ways to spend your time. I, I like Tarantino. I find him very entertaining, but I also find he aims really low mm. and then hits the middle and everyone's like, woo! Yeah, I feel that too a little you bit. You know, I think he really, like, I just rewatched uh, Pulp Fiction uh, for for the podcast a little a little while back and really loved it. And and I think that it's it's definitely one of his most, if not his probably most original interesting film and then he's kind of just I don't want to say he's coasted but he's just kind of playing with genre now mm-hmm. and doing that kind of thing yeah it doesn't uh, it doesn't feel organic it doesn't feel it feels very self-conscious often that movie did to me for sure yeah so we'll see well, I'm, I'm really really excited to see his new one because I think it, it's kind of what hard. is it I don't know anything it's about uh, it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it's a it, it centers around the um, Charles Manson oh my god uh, the, the how killing. did I miss this yeah it's it's. And, well, has just, it filmed it he, it's shooting now just type in look at look at the cast he's assembled for it it's okay. insane I bet so it looks and, and um, I think is it Tim Rothman or Tom Rothman the, the head of Sony said it's the best screenplay he's ever read Wow, and so and it's clo- and it's Tarantino's closest to Pulp Fiction, so that alone makes me excited for, for that. Yeah, that feels like that's in his wheelhouse somehow, just yeah. intuitively. All, All right. right, man, that was great. Well, thanks, buddy. I'm happy to have seen that. Yeah. Anytime you want to do another Kubrick movie, I'm in, Bubba. Done. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks for joining us for Barry Linden. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or an Apple podcast or wherever it is you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.